Amen. Well, hey, we just want to welcome everybody once again. We want to welcome those that are online. It's always a privilege. You know, our church is much bigger than just what we have here. There are those that are tuning in and watching us uh, video, uh, streaming video. And so they are growing right along with us. And so you just might never know. You, you might have somebody that's on the other side of the world uh, partaking in church with you. And so that is so exciting. Isn't it great to have technology the way that it is? Amen. Well, hey, before we get started, I want to just share a couple things with you here that might just sound uh, similar to maybe some thoughts that you've had. But you realize that we're all aging and we're all growing, right? And uh, so as you age and as you grow, your perception or your perspective on life changes. And so, for instance, the four-year-old child says this. It says, my dad can do anything. At seven years old, that child says, my dad knows a lot, a whole lot. At age eight... My father doesn't know quite everything. At 12, oh, well, naturally, fathers, they don't know that either. At the age of 14, oh, father? He is a hopeless old-fashioned person. 21, oh, that man? He's out of date. At 25, he knows a little bit about it, but not much. At age 30, I'll find out what dad thinks about it. At age 35, before we decide, let's get dad's idea first. 50, what would have dad thought about this? At age 60, my dad literally knew everything. At age 65, I wish I could talk to dad about this. Amen? And isn't it interesting how as we grow and as as we learn our lives Uh, just have a different meaning, have a different perspective. And so hopefully as we get into this message this morning, uh, uh, just in intervention, we said that Paul, or the Apostle Paul, had written letters to the church. And therefore these letters were really letters of intervention. He he gave them uh, uh, encouragement and he exhorted them saying, man, you're doing things great. And he says, but then let me also help you and give you some areas of correction. And as a result of correcting some things in your life, let me also give you some direction. And so hopefully this morning we have the opportunity to celebrate dads, but at the same time, really as fathers, regardless of where we're at, we can hear this as a message of intervention to where we as dads can not only be better, but just exhort those things that God has put in us to be and, and actually just be everything that God has wanted us and desired us and called us to be as fathers. Read uh, Markham. He was quoted at saying this. He says, the quality of a father can be seen in the goals, the dreams, and the aspirations he sets, not only for himself, but for his family. So once again, it says this. It says that a father's, or the quality of the father can be seen in his goals, his dreams, his, his ambitions, not only for himself, but those that he sets for his family. And it's also been said this, that everything rises and falls upon leadership. Now, moms, they have a very significant role. Moms, they play a role of leadership in the home. But God has really called them to be their nurturer. And so I don't see there being a a greater role of leadership than the role of being a dad. Do you realize that the dad plays such a significant role within the home? He is the leader. He is the priest of the home. And through what God has called him to do, the whole family, the whole direction of the home takes shape as a result of the leadership of dad. Can you say amen? amen? 
And so, again, I'm so glad and honored that I, I have the privilege of, of being, being a dad. But, you know, you think about that. You, you see, or it seems as though from one generation to the next, the goals, the dreams, and the ambitions begin to shift, right? From one generation to the next, the goals, the dreams, the ambitions, they seem to take on a different look. You know, it wasn't too long ago that it seemed as though uh, uh, fathers uh, would, would work with the family and they would really work the family homestead. Do you know what I mean by that? In order for them to make a living, it wasn't going and working a job. It wasn't about uh, the kids going home and playing video games. It seemed as though that uh, generations ago, it seemed that it was the whole family working together to build the homestead. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, can you think about that little show? Maybe some of you aren't, aren't old enough to remember this. But anybody remember Little House on the Prairie? Come on, man. I tuned in. It seemed, was it Monday night? I mean, you just loved watching Little House on the Prairie. And, and you know, just even as a, as a young kid, I can remember watching it. Just little Albert Engel. There was different times, man. Uh, they would make me cry. <laughs> and it was simply because of the, the, just the heart that was behind and just simply the family structure and the love and the care that was expressed through that generation. Once again, it was the whole family that was working the homestead. And as a result, there was a work ethic that was established within the home. You following me? As a result of how the family unit worked, there was a work ethic that was established. Family time was built by building a life together. Not individuals, but family was built by building a life together. Worship as a family was part of the family DNA. The values and the morals and the character and the faith that was established was established face-to-face, maybe sitting around a dinner table, rather than everybody congregated around a 72-inch flat screen watching a show called uh, The Modern Family. And therefore, letting the culture of today, letting Hollywood establish what the morals and the ethics and the ideals of what a family should look like. And so when we begin to really see God's heart towards what he desires for the family to look like and what he desires us men and us fathers to be to establish leadership within the home, we see God seeing things from a whole different vantage point than what the culture does of today's generation. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, it says that God had instructed us to work six days and on the seventh day that there would be a Sabbath. So in other words, he says, I want you to be hard workers. I want you to have a good work ethic. He says, in fact, I give you instruction to work six days and on the seventh day, he says, I want you to have that as a day of worship and a day of rest and a day of refreshing, right? But somehow in the modern culture of America, we're thinking, well, dear God, how can I work hard at hardly working? How can I get as much time off as I can? And how can I play as hard as I want to, right? But God says, listen, I want you to be hardworking. I want you to establish a work ethic. And he says, and even on that last day, that seventh day, he says, I want you to establish it as a day of worship and a day of rest. Now, why is that significant? Because we as a people, we, we generally and sincerely want to have success in our lives. We want to see our families, families flourish. But the most successful people that we see in our culture and our society today are very driven individuals. They work hard at making a living. But successful people have learned to budget their time. Do you know what I mean by that? And when I say budget their time, they work extremely hard 
But in order to have those times of developing family and fun and really cultivating that family unit, they budget their time to do so. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because I am one that will work hard and I'll schedule everything else to do. I'll schedule the work. I'll schedule the plan. I'll schedule the family meetings for you as a church congregation when you have trouble in your life. But when it comes to my own personal family, that's something that I fail miserably in budgeting my time to build family and to build fun and to build rest and relaxation. And so when we see people that are successful, they have a strong work ethic. They budget their time, but they also budget their time to build the family. Isn't that so important? Are you identifying some things in your own personal life, Dan? You know, the modern culture of, of people today have really become lovers of self. And the Bible tells us this, that the, the closer that we get to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, do you know he's coming soon, right? I said, Jesus is coming soon. And he said, look at your culture. The Bible tells us that you just have to look around and, and see what's going on in our world system. And he says, this is what you'll see just before I come. And he says, people's hearts will wax cold, that they'll become fearful, that they'll be lovers of themselves. And that's exactly what we see in our culture today. We find a culture that feels entitled And their entitlement of life is, how do I have fun and how do I serve myself more than anything else? You know what I'm talking about? It seems as though our culture is a microwave society that we simply want to live for selves. You know, with our culture today, with Facebook and texting and really just all the social media, psychologists have told us that the, the, the average attention span of an individual is now eight seconds. And it's simply because we've got so accustomed to being disconnected, just being absorbed with self. And so, you know, it makes it interesting as a pastor, you know, we've got to talk in eight-second segments, you know, just to keep your attention. You know, every once in a while we'll say, say something real goofy, you know, and uh, just to see if you're, you're staying on your toes. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> I lost you already. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so once again... We've got to look at this personal responsibility as, as dad. And, and, and as I said, concerning this culture that we're living in and just how people are just walking away from the responsibility, we see just in our culture that there's so many dads that say, I don't want the responsibility of being a dad. I've wanted to work hard all week long. I've put my time in. i provided for my family. Now it's come to Friday night. It's my time and I'm going to party hardy. And then I'm going to start it all over again Monday. Now, once again, I don't say this to be critical because I don't know where you are. And obviously, we're all raised in different kinds of homes. I wasn't raised in a home that, you know, was party type living and that kind of thing. But it always surprises me. And again, with the culture that we live in on Facebook and things of that nature, and you scroll through your Facebook feed and you'll see people that you know. And they'll say, hey, we had a great time. And they're at the local tavern and they'll show pictures of them up to the bar, but then their five-year-old son or daughter sitting right next to them. Now, once again, I'm not being critical, but I'm just thinking, what kind of life have we created that that is the social entertainment? Well, I'm going to go to the bar, and I'm going to serve myself, and I've worked hard for this, and I'm going to drag my kid along, and therefore, that's the culture, that's the thinking that they've been raised in, and as a result, we expose them to a whole kind of goofy culture. Do you hear what I'm saying? And once again, I'm not being critical i'm just simply saying that there's so much more that we can offer our kids you know just not too long ago 
a pastor, he came and he visited the church. And uh, afterwards, it was an evening. In fact, I think it was an encounter service that we had. And afterwards, he and I, we went to, to dinner. And we went to the local Applebee's just around the corner here. And the waitress began to hear us talking. And obviously, we were having church conversation and talking about God and whatever. And so she overheard us. And she started talking about how she had went to church because of her grandparents, but she got into drugs and she's divorced and her, her husband is a deadbeat, he's in prison and all this kind of stuff. And she said, I, I know that I need to get my daughter into church. I said, well, hey, come on out. We'd love to have you. And she said, well, I know that I need to get her in church. She says, oh, what time does church start? I said, well, we start at 1030. And she said, so I can come and I can drop her off and then I can come and pick her back up after church is over? And so that has become such a part of our culture. We realize, or somehow in the depths of our heart, we realize that our children need to have an exposure to God. But we think that it's just about giving them the option rather than living it in front of them. We think that, well, if I just expose them, at least they'll learn that they have choices in the world. But then they look at you as a mom or a dad and they say, well, what are you doing? If you don't do it, why would I want to be exposed or live that life as well? And it just doesn't work. But like I said, in the heart of hearts, we realize, oh, we know that our children need God. And in the heart of hearts, we know that that's the answer. But we get so distracted with life, right? My wife, she just uh, went this past week to a local salon. In fact, I think it was one of the gift certificates that you had given her for her birthday just a couple months ago. And so she went and got her pedicure and her manicure and got all dialed up. And so as she's there, she got talking to the lady. And the lady, she said, was, was a little bit older, had children probably in their 20s. And, and she said that in the midst of the conversation, the woman said, you know, we used to go to church faithfully. That was just part of our lifestyle. And she's, my wife says to her, well, do you go to church now? She goes, no, we have not been to church in decades. And she says, you know, if I really begin to think about it and if I'm honest with myself, she said, what was the cause of it was that on the weekends and on Sunday, we began to travel with our children because they were in sports. And therefore, sports became the priority. And therefore, little by little, we no longer go to church. And so now she's an older woman not having God in her life. She's raised children that have lost the ideal or the desire to have God a part of their life. I'm simply talking about us as fathers. Men, we are the leaders of our home. God has called us to be the example. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, you know it well, but in the New Living Translation it says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and He will give you everything that you need. I realize that in our life and in our society, we we seem to be drawn and pulled towards so many different things as though that is the priority of life. And, And therefore, if we have the time to squeeze in God, if we have the time to squeeze in church, maybe we'll do that. Or as long as we do it when the kids are little, it will be sufficient. But God says, Jesus was speaking, He says, But seek first the kingdom of God, above all else, and living righteously or living right with God. And everything that you need will be given and added to your life. Do you hear the promise of God? We've been talking about this for the last few weeks, that God's promises are yes and amen, that He always leads us to triumph. And we as people say, I want that, but where is that in my life? And God says, establish a priority in your life. 
My wife ministered last week. Man, she, didn't she preach the roof off the place? And in her message, she was talking about being committed. And in the commitment is the priority of life. And when we purpose to commit and have a priority of putting God first, he says everything that you need, everything that you desire will just come into your life and you don't have to work so hard to obtain it because that's God's promise. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, the Amplified says this, Train up a child in the ways that he should go and in keeping with his individual gifts or bent, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Notice the Bible says, you train up your child in the ways that they should go. And really what it's saying is training them up in the ways of God. And then also he's talking about their individual gifts. Do you realize that our children, I don't care if you're an older individual, you're a child of somebody, and God put gifts and talents on the inside of you. And if you've not found out your purpose, God still has a desire for you to know what you're breathing air for on this earth. But we as parents that still have children at home that are expecting a young one to come, God says it's your responsibility, and he places that responsibility really on the functional head, which is us fathers. He says, you train them. And he says, they have a gifting and a natural bent to their life of what I've put in them. It's their God-given purpose and their call, and you can know what it is. Help them in that. So oftentimes we say to our kids, now you got to hear this right, but so many times we say to our kids, you can be whatever you want to be, and that is really not true. They can choose that, But us as parents, it's not to say it's within your choice to be what you want to be. It's our responsibility as fathers to say, what has God put in you? And God, help me bring that out because that's my role. And you've got a purpose and a plan for their life. And so therefore, as a parent, I have this opportunity to bring that out of them. That's my role as a leader. Are you hearing an intervention this morning? Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 through 17, I want to read it to you from the Message Bible. Paul, we said this, that again, we were reading from 2 Corinthians the last few weeks and said it's a letter of intervention. And so once again, this is to the Corinth church again, and it's simply that him speaking to them from his heart. And he says, I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you, and I want you to grow up well, not spoiled. Come on. You know any children that are spoiled? You know that you can be a spoilt child of God? Now, a spoilt child of God doesn't mean that, well, you've got all kinds of stuff, so you're spoilt. It means that you're just taking advantage of what God's provided for you and just a big baby. He says, listen, he says, I want you to grow up not being, a, being spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers who will take the time and the effort to help you grow up. It was... It was as Jesus helping me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, or, uh, I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything that I'm not already doing myself. And verse 17 says, this is why I sent Timothy to you earlier. He is also my dear son and, there, or a true, and true to the master. He will refresh your memory on the instructions I regularly give all the churches on the ways of Christ. Man, there's a lot that's being said there. Can you give me my glasses, please? I thought I could pull it off and not wear my glasses, but 
It's not working. <laughs> Amen. So we see this first and foremost that Paul says, I'm not only coming to you as a minister, but because of the relationship that I have with you, I've really become a spiritual father. And he says, I've come to help you grow up and not be a spoilt little baby. I just look straight ahead, but do you know any spoiled babies in church? They want it their way when they want it. All right, well, we'll move right on. Maybe that's at the church down the road. Not here, amen. So he became a spiritual father. But notice the first thing that he says there. He says, there are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you're doing wrong. He says, but there aren't many fathers who will take the time and the effort to help you grow. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes that's what church has become? People that are critical, pastors that are beating up their people and saying, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. Do you realize that that's not the role of a pastor to tell you what you're doing wrong, but to help you see how to live right? It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of what we're doing wrong. As pastors, we might shed the light on that. But again, there's all kinds of people that are just waiting to jump on you. And as a result, we feel condemned. We think, why go to church? Every time I come, they make me feel sick about myself. They look at me across their nose like, yeah, I know what you did. But he says, there's not many that will take the place of fathers in your life that will take time and effort to help you grow. And so therefore, as we've seen already, as a spiritual father, you being fathers in your own home, maybe you're older and your children have left, but you still have a place as a spiritual father in their life. He says this is a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's the first priority. And he says when you do that, everything's good. Obviously, when you think about that, Satan was the first one to rebel against the father. Right? And the result of it was saying, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to do things my way. And as a result, we've seen that life or that culture. And let me just say it this way. There is the believer in the unbeliever, right? Or we say it this way. There is the church or Christians and there's the world. Do you know what I'm talking about when I use that terminology? And the world is full of individuals that have said, I want to do things my way. But the attitude has also crept over into the church, hasn't it? Where we just want to do things our way. And as a result, rebelling against, it causes church simply be, to be rules and regulation. It causes church to be religious. And therefore, it takes the fun out of living life for God. We say, I'm going to budget time to go to church, but there's no success, there's no fun. But God desires for us to know what it is to live a life to serve Him and to know Him. Clarence Kellen said this, My father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. Guys, dads, that's our role as a father is not to say, do as I say, not as I do, but to live out loud in front of them. To see us love God, love people, and love life. 
Now I realize for some that may have come later in life, but your children can begin to see the change as a result of that. It's never too late. You know, just simply for the sake of time, uh, I'll just share just some, some personal things with you. We all have the opportunity to instruct our children in the ways that they will go. But we had this opportunity to be a part of the wedding uh, yesterday. And in the wedding and in the reception, they had this beautiful harpist. You know what a harp is? It's that big thing. It's what you're going to play on a cloud when you're in heaven, right? <laughs> no, but this guy was just tremendous at playing the harp. It set a, a beautiful atmosphere. And it made me start to think about us as a church. And so just real quickly, let me ask you this. How many of you have children that are under the age of 10 still at home? Okay, we've got several. How many of you have got that, that have children between the ages of 10 and 13? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you have children that are, are, are 15 and older? All right. So we got a good mix. Well, let me just tell you this. For those of you... Now, listen, this, this, this is right off the press of heaven. I, I, this, is, this is heavy revelation right now, okay? For those of you that have children under the age of 10... Your children are going to be professional harpists. That's what they're going to do for a living. And in fact, they're going to make a living and be known for how well they play the harp. Now, that's for those of you that have children 10 and under. Now, for those of you that have children between the ages of 10 and 13, it's still a possibility. If you start now, you know, they might... Be that Now, those of you that have children 15 and over, it's too late. They won't be a professional harpist. But listen, I want to talk to you that have children 10 and under. Your children, listen to me, are going to become professional harpists. They're going to play for the symphony. They're going to be well-known for how well they play the harp. And that's how they're going to make a living. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, that's not in my heart. As a parent. And you're saying, well, my, my son or my daughter has never shown interest in playing a harp. That's okay. That's okay. Well, you're also saying, well, they're not in lessons. They're not learning how to play the harp. That's okay. They are going to be professional harpists. Now, I, I labored that point, And obviously, you're saying that is about the foolish thing that you could even say. And it is. But what's the difference in us saying, my children are going to grow up serving God, knowing God, being successful at living a life as a Christian? Have they grown up seeing you set the example? Have they grown up with you instructing them that way? Have you as an individual taken them to the lesson place where they teach how to live that way, which is called church? And have you done it consistently enough that as they continue to grow, that they are going to be professionals at being a follower of Christ, and therefore their life is successful, and we see the promises of God as the fruit of what God has called them to be because of what we have done as moms and dads to help cultivate that in them. It's foolish for us to think that our children will become those successful followers of Christ if we don't 
instill that. Are you tracking with me this morning? I've heard this said before from different individuals just throughout the years, and oftentimes I'll hear this statement. They'll say, well, I don't want to force God on my kids. I don't want to force them to go to church. I don't want them to resent church and resent God and resent me as a parent like I resented my parents in making me go to church. Can I just say to you that as a child, I grew up in church, and there was never a day in my life that I resented going to church. As I got older into my teenage years, and I'm telling you, as I got older, I I had a heart to serve God, but I wasn't living serving God. I was partying. I was doing my own thing, living selfishly. And I don't know what my mom and dad were thinking. I'm thinking, now that I'm a dad, I'm like, you guys were silly because they gave me a curfew for 2 o'clock. I mean, my kids are going to have a curfew of 9.30. I don't know what you guys are. (laughs) But what my parents said, they said, I don't care if you come in at 10 o'clock or 159 or 2 o'clock on the button. When it comes time to get up in the morning, you're going to church. And you know, I never resented that. I got up and I went to church. So I, 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 I began to ask myself the question, why is it that we began to think in the terms that if I make my kids go to church, that they'll resent me as a parent? And I've come up with a number of different things that could possibly explain that. I'm sure there's more. But one might be that the kids are older when you found Christ. And therefore, as a result of you finding Christ at a later stage as a parent and your children being older in years, they did not learn as a child to become a lifestyle or habit. So therefore, as you as a, as a mom and a dad, you're like, we found Jesus. We're going to church, son or daughter. And they're saying, you're forcing me to get up. I never had to get up before. You're forcing me to go hang out with kids that I don't know and half of them I don't like. Okay, I kind of get that. But if we start living out loud the life of following Christ and the joy that it is, they're going to start following our lead and say, there's something about that. Maybe for, for your upbringing and as you watched your parents as children, their church experience or their relationship with God was simply a casual thing, and therefore they lived more of a carnal lifestyle just in and out of the church. They were more in the world than they were in the church, and so therefore because they didn't live a life of following Christ and the joy and the fruit of it, you're saying, why do I want to go to church? Because... You guys live like heathens. Or maybe, as I said, their parents don't live the life of faith, and therefore they don't have any desire for it as well. Maybe the church that your parents brought you up was a dead church. What I mean by a dead church, it was simply all about religion. It was all about tradition. Maybe it was the stand up, sit down, run around the room or whatever it was. But as a result, it was just formality and there was no relationship. It was all about religion. Or maybe you as a child, you saw your parents not involved in the life of the church. And therefore they came, but they got home and they were critical. They gossiped. Maybe they complained about the pastor asking for money. And as a result, your thoughts as a child was negative. 
And therefore, you're thinking, God, why are you forcing me to go to church? And I resent it. I'm telling you, folks, dads, if you'll purpose to live the life of God in front of your children and let them see how fun, how full, and how great God is, they won't resent going to church. Now listen to me, just to take this further, because again, me as a pastor, I I grew up in church, and so maybe I'm just naive to this whole thing. But when we say, well, I don't want to force my kids to go to church because I don't want them to resent God. Well, let me ask you this. As your kids have gotten older, and as you raise them, did you force them to listen to you? And if they didn't listen to you, did you bring correction and punishment as a result of it, and you called it love? Sure. As a parent, when you gave them a chore and said, this is your responsibility, did you hold them accountable? And then you said on the back end, well, I do that because I'm trying to teach them a work ethic. Did you cause them to simply learn how to take baths and brush their teeth? And you simply said, well, it's good hygiene. And did you send them to school every day for 13 years, in my case, 14 years? And you said, it's the law. How many of your kids resented going to school? Maybe all of us. But you still make your children do it because you see the benefit on the back end, right? Do you realize your children can't see around corners? But you can. And so as a parent, as a father, you're not... You're not... uh, uh, I don't even know how to express it. You're simply doing what God's called you to do as a father. Amen? Amen. Small boys become big men through the influence of big men who care about small boys. Did you hear that? Big men care about little boys, and therefore big boys come as a result of a man caring. You know, I was getting ready this morning down in my office at home, and I was just going over my notes, and my little boy, he came down. He was the first one to get up. So he comes down to my office just to say hi. And in my office, I've got a little closet where I keep my suits and things of that nature, my dress shoes. And uh, typically, you know, if I go into my office, I'm not necessarily the best at putting them right where they belong, so I set them next to the closet rather than in the closet. But my little boy, he came over, and he put my shoes on. And he came over smiling and he says I said what he says and I looked down and he's wearing my shoes and he did it with such joy I can remember as a kid wearing my father's shoes saying I'm not big enough yet but maybe one day and there was always something about dad's shoes that it just brought comfort even though they were big If your children are small, if your children are at home, regardless of how obstinate they may be, dads, they still want to wear your shoes. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people at the church and they've said, my dad has been an absent father in my life. And even though they've learned what to expect, even though they've learned not to get their hopes up, They're still saying, 
Ted, I want to wear your shoes. You'll never get too old to say, Dad, I want to wear your shoes. There's just something in the heart of a child that says, Dad, I'm hoping that you'll be that dad that I want you to be. Are you here this morning? Can we stand? Just as the worship team takes the platform, just as we get ready to close. Guys, I hope that you're not hearing a critical, hard message this morning. But it's simply my heart to say, I love you and I care about you. And I know that God has so much more for us. He wants us to be so much more. And he wants to help us along the way. And so just as a Father's Day gift, we... We got the fathers just a little flashlight. I don't know about you, but you can never have enough flashlights. <laughs> Whether you have it in the car, under your bed, or wherever you might stash your little flashlight. But we got this for you. Just to signify that you as dads, regardless of how old your children are, you're still shedding a light for them. You're still saying, I want to help light your path. You're saying, I still want to be the example. I still want to love you. And as old as I am, I'm 45 years old. And as independent as I want to be. And as much as you want to say, Dad, I got it. You know, I still say, Dad, can you help? I'm still looking for Dad's light to be shined in my life. So I hope that this will just stir your heart just to remind you of who God's called you to be. With God's help, young or old, we're going to be the dads that God's called us to be. Amen. Can I just pray for you dads and pray for us as families as we close and then the worship team is going to lead us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every dad, every father, every stepfather in this place. God, I thank you that you've anointed us and that you've called us to be leaders within our home. And it doesn't stop when they leave. God, you've still put within us wisdom. You've given us the ability to see around corners. So God, help us, anoint us, empower us. Give us the fortitude to make the sacrifices necessary to be the men of God you've called us to be. And we thank you for your help. God, I thank you that you're restoring relationships right now between fathers and sons and daughters and fathers. God, I thank you that you're bridging the gap, you're healing the hearts, and a new day is upon us because of what you're doing. We give you all the thanks and praise. Are we all said? Amen. 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 Happy Father's Day. Let's just worship God one last time. Amen.